Well, fiery characters, staunch supporters and insult slingers, Dunedin citizens were embroiled in a tempestuous public debate over Darwin's theory of evolution in the 1880s. Strongly in the Darwin camp was the curator and director of Otago Museum, Professor Thomas Jeffrey Parker. And it's his story that's fascinated the museum's current honorary curator of science history, Dr Rosie Crane. In fact, she's written a paper about Parker and his efforts to persuade the good people of Ōtepōte Dunedin, many of them Scottish Presbyterian immigrants that Darwin's origin of species was true and correct. Rosie's paper has just been published in the Studies in History and Philosophy of Science journal. While I asked her first for a brief bio of Professor Parker. He was born in Plimlico in London, which is not a very salubrious part and it wasn't then and it isn't now. He was the oldest of seven siblings and his father was a a GP. He served a lot of poor people. But his real interest, his father's interest, was in anatomy. And he was friends with Thomas Henry Huxley, whom people may have heard of. He was got the name of Darwin's bulldog because he defended Darwin crucially at the meeting in Oxford. So Huxley saw Thomas Jeffrey growing up. And he was born... Um, in 1850, as I said, just nine years before the um, Darwin's Origin of Species came out, which, as you know, just absolutely rocked the uh, Victorian world. He then went to university, and from there he worked for Huxley as a demonstrator, which was equivalent to our lecturer these days. And then He applied for a job at Owens College in Manchester, but didn't get it. And so he came to Dunedin, and the public is keen to meet him. But he slips in quietly in winter of 1880 and just gets on with lecturing. And when the university session starts again in in, um, 1881, he produces an inaugural uh, lecture to start the session. And that is where we really first meet him and what he's like, because he's learned from Huxley quite a few of the sort of rhetorical tub-thumping techniques of being absolutely adamant about where things are. But it doesn't quite work with Parker because he's naturally quite a shy chap and his delivery of his voice sort of just tails off towards the end of the sentences. However, it doesn't deter him. So he, he's standing on the platform with a whole bunch of clerics either side of him, and in the front row is a whole bunch of clerics, which would normally send the sort of fear of God into you. But it, undeterred, he stands there and he says, and I paraphrase, a better day dawned for biology. Darwin's brought the study of biology Uh, with the all-embracing law of evolution, uh, making theory of special creation once and for all an impossibility. It's unsupported by the evidence, and it is unthinkable. So here he is, 30 years old, and all the clerics are considerably older, and he has not realised quite what a hornet's nest he's stirred up Five years before, in 1876, there had been a complete outbreak of 
I don't know what to call it, evolutionitis, I think. It's a good enough word. And even now, the sort of troubled topic of evolution was just an undercurrent in the sort of life of cultural life of, of Dunedin and indeed the whole colony. People were wrestling with the origin of life and man's place within it. But still, these questions were really troublesome to the, um, particularly the religious, because special creation, you have to understand. I mean, he, Parker absolutely targeted that particular concept, and it meant one of three things. Either God created the world, end of story, or God created the world, God created all the living things in it several times over. So that allowed for fossils and living things. Or God created um, the world and let everything get on with it. In each case, he distinguished man from other animals by giving him a human soul. But now along comes the evolutionists, Parker amongst them, to um, say, no, 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 that's not how it worked. We've got evidence to show that it was actually the descent of, of man, one thing evolved into another, into another, over a very long time. You made the point that there had been a great discussion about this, so when Parker stood up and delivered that talk, what was the response from the majority of the people? You mentioned the clerics were there, so we understand how they felt about yeah. it. There were lots of comments in the, in the ODT, the letters to the editor. One, for instance, talked about uh, sober-minded reason, special creation is far more rational than evolution. And another one that says, if he thinks he can kill our faith in the Bible, he's much mistaken. <laughs> and of course, <laughs> after that inaugural lecture, he never really stood up and was quite so tub-thumpy ever again. I mean, he, he was still strong on his evolution. It wasn't just the content. It was this upstart, you know, this youngster being so blooming tub-thumping and, and adamant that stirred up the hornet's nest. So was this something that exorcised the, the average Dunedinite, you know, taking it away from the academics, taking it away from the church? What about everyday people? How strongly did they feel about this? Well, some of them, of course, just sat back and laughed and watched because, <laughs> you know, the, the column that we have in the ODD today is a regular column called Civis. It started way back when the ODT started in 1863. And he, he says, before um, Parker actually arrives, he says, huh, we've got an evolutionist coming, and if, if we don't get an asinine greeting out of the people of Dunedin, then I don't know them. <laughs> and, of course, true to word, they got an asinine greeting. But, of course, we don't actually know what ordinary people thought particularly because their thoughts are not recorded other than in letters to the ODT, where you actually have to be really, you know, it's a bit like um, Twitter storming, you know, you have to actually be quite um, exercised. I mean, there's lots and lots of people who read Twitter and whatever and just ignore it. But there are those who, who are red rag to a bull and they just pile on. So that's what this was. It was a big pile on. And so we don't really know what ordinary folk thought except that they must have you know like we do today there'd be some that would go oh for heaven's sake or oh well he's quite right <laughs> and all of that you know all that carry on 
So what have we learnt from this? I mean, you've written a paper on it, Rosie. So something, and I know you're you're really interested in Parker himself and, and the history of the museum. But when you started researching this, reading um, the newspaper coverage of it, which I think was detailed, and thinking about it, what what lessons do we learn from it all this time on? We learn that faith that these guys held was important to them in a way probably that it isn't important to us today. But that it wasn't a simple science versus religion sort of war. It was a whole lot more complex. Rosie, you gave quite a detailed description of Parker's voice earlier on, that it tailed away quite quietly. So I'm imagining, because this is what happened back in the day with the Otago Daily Times, they wrote very comprehensive coverage of events like this. So when they did report on his original talk, public talk, how did they frame it? How did they describe it? There would have been reporters in in the audience who were doing shorthand. They just did shorthand and just typed it out. So they just published, effectively republished what he said without comment? Without comment, yes. The comment came in... Um, some of the leaders and from the letters. And there's, you know, the letters were to and fro, they were quite extensive. How much of a stir then did it make both his speech for those who were in, for those who were in the audience and the ongoing newspaper coverage? Was this something that had debate going for days, for weeks, for months? How much of an impact did it have, do you think? I mean, he delivered it in May of 1880 and... He's going on all through 1880, all through 1881. Wow, so a year and a half or so. Yes, yes, just rumbles on. And every time anything to do with Parker, any any sort of news or whatever, little snippets would come up. And you you just get this sense that there's always bubbling controversy going on under the surface about evolution in Dunedin. And I suspect that's partly because, of course, it was a town dominated by Scots Presbyterians who were Bible readers first and foremost. Dr Rosie Crane.